House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Now joining us is uh, Marlon Marinick. Um, thank you for being here. Hey, thanks, Al. So, um, let's let's tell people a little bit about yourself. So, uh, who is Marlon? So I, I'm a. That's <laughs> kind of I've never been asked that directly to say in a few sentences, but basically, um, I'm kind of known, I guess, to people a little bit because I wrote a book um, with Charles Manson called Charles Manson Now. Um, I work in psychiatry. I'm part of a crisis response team in my city, so that's kind of where I come through from. I've been doing that for over 20 years. Um, I, I just found the guy fascinating, and he kind of called me out of nowhere one day, and that, that was kind of the start of a crazy adventure, which is still going on. So so when he so he called you out of the blue? Mm-hmm. We, we had a mutual friend I was doing some film stuff with. Uh, with um, his name was Donald Taylor, and he was trying to self-publish a book um, we called One Gay Man, and he had all these exploits with all of these people like James Dean, uh, Duke of Windsor, Charles Manson, that was one of the people in his book, and uh, Charlie had kept in touch with him since before the murders, and, the, and I was on eBay one day, and I collect weird and odd things, and some guy was selling some of James Dean's hair, um, a shirt that belonged to Elvis, and a bunch of Charles Manson letters, and so I emailed the guy, and I'm like, how do, how do you acquire this stuff, right, and he sent me his phone number, and we we became friends, and he's a totally eccentric, odd dude, but him and, and Manson knew each other. And from that, working with him, um, Charlie found out that he had this Canadian connection that was um, involved in film, and that was me. And he wanted to do this final interview. He wasn't, this is probably about seven or eight years ago. He wasn't feeling great at the time. He wanted to make some money, and he thought, like, this interview would be a big thing. So he called and asked if I could dress up like a soldier, and he'd be a general, and we'd do this interview. Um, and I said, yeah, I can get behind that. I could do that. And the California prison system just wouldn't allow it to happen, so he never did get his final interview. And we, we tried. The BBC was pretty close to doing something, and, and, and in the end that kind of dropped off, and it just it never happened. But we um, kept in touch and became friends, and eventually I met with him, and, and that, that all of that turned into a book. Wow. Uh, you know, but I was just trying to think, like, so where you were when the phone call came, and did you really believe it was Manson? That, that, I, I was by myself, which is kind of weird because I, I had, a, had a roommate at the time, and, and um, he, uh, it's unmistakable once you hear him. He's, it's, you know, immediately we were talking to him. He's kind of timeless, right? He's got that language where only he can speak it, Mansonese or whatever, as Shrek calls it. And uh, it was kind of like, uh, it was a weird interview. He wanted to know about life in Canada, how I lived, what I did. And, and he um, asked my thoughts on insects. I remember that because I thought that was really weird. And I told him I liked spiders and crickets. And, and yeah. he, he was, <laughs> so, and then uh, about an hour after the call, I got a call from his assistant, I guess, or his friend, Grey Wolf. And, and that, that was kind of, then we started um, figuring out how to get this interview in place. Wow. Or so try, to, try to do that. His intention was just to, to give kind of a big final interview. So, um, yeah. What, so that was m most of the conversations. So people that don't know, you, uh, you uh, basically um, recorded uh, conversations that you had with him um, over the phone. Yeah, I, I, I missed a lot of the early um, conversations because I wasn't thinking to record them and I didn't. And then he, he suggested I do that because he's history, you know, and, and that's his words. Uh, so eventually I, I started recording them, and then when I met with him, it was probably a year after talking on the phone, and he hadn't seen anybody for two or three years. He doesn't really see people. And so it was quite the, the first time I went out to meet with him, the prison wouldn't allow me through because they thought I had forged documents, and, and they couldn't believe that he was having a visitor or whatever. So I came back four months later, and had approval by the warden and everything was lined up. And when I went in to meet him, he just um, he's, he's just still focused on this interview. And I said, well, what about doing a book? And he says, like, that's 
bullshit. There's like over 400 books on me. <laughs> and actually, that's probably the right number. It's probably around there. There's a lot of Manson books, and everybody's been associated with him. And so the, the idea um, was that he wanted to do an exclusive kind of a book. He wanted, he wanted me to be his biographer, and, and he wanted... Um, he needed six hours to, to get everything he wanted to do, and he'd figure out how to get that to me, right? And so I don't know if you remember in the media when he was getting caught with cell phones and stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was kind of around that. So prison calls are re- recorded, and he never felt that um, he, he really could say what he wanted to say. And, and so in the end, he just said, well, you have to use, you know, you have to write about yourself, you have to write about you, and you can, you know, use those phone calls. So that, that's that's what he used in the book, and that's kind of his dialogue. And it, it's, it's to me, it's, like, we can't figure each other out. Like, he can't figure out how someone can hold a job and be responsible, and I can't figure out how you can live in a prison, right? So right, right. a lot of my experience was with him was him trying to educate me about the prison system, how he grew up, how he ended up the way he is, his childhood, a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, I I really, I was over my head with the murders and and that whole rabbit hole, so I just kind of worked with him as a person and and tried to figure out how, you know, why is this guy so relevant? Why is this guy so influential, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I I could imagine, you know, if he called and then wanted to do this project, uh, whereabouts, what's the first thing you say to someone like that, or what's the first thing you ask them? You know? Yeah. Well, I I was I wasn't expecting that, and and I know everyone thinks he's a master manipulator and all that kind of kind of thing. And but it, from my end, I I thought like, holy shit, this is this is my boogeyman. Like when I was a kid, I found a beat up copy of Helter Skelter. It was like we were we used to play in abandoned houses and stuff. And I remember finding it in the basement, and that scared the hell out of me when I was like eight or nine. You know, I, I couldn't understand the content, but I remember those eyes and. Then when you get into psychiatry, you, you kind of follow him. You see his parole hearings. You see the Geraldo interviews. You start hearing clips in his music, and you start, you know, he, he gets pretty worldly. You start learning about the guy. But I never in a million years thought I'd ever, you know, sit down with the guy and talk about the doors or whatever, you know. It was like I, I never, I, I think if you planned that with him, it, it would go south, and there's, it doesn't, it wouldn't happen. Yeah, it wouldn't be real, and he would pick it up. So, what did what did you? How do I say this? What what surprised you? Like when you're talking to him about things, was there anything that sort of caught you off guard? Like, oh my God, that's the last thing I think Manson would. Do. Well, you, you know how the people who do like high, like really tense jobs, like surgeons or police or you know EMTs, and there's kind of like cop humor or, or prison humor is a lot more graphic. Like, yeah. holy man. He he is the most direct person I've ever met, you know, and the most complex. Like if he has a problem with you, he lets you know that, right? Yeah. And and time is different for him. Like the, I think the one thing I found the most fascinating was he spent. He would tell you like eighty percent of his life in prison. He he would count like foster care and and boys homes and all those kind of things as being prison as well. And sixty percent of that time was in solitary confinement. You know, and and most of that is self-imposed because he can't deal with people, and so just the uh, idea of the way he lives in his head so much, and he has this inner world. And I know when obviously he has some mental health problems or concerns, you could say, and I, I want to, I have to be careful in how I word that, but yeah. he um, he's been through a lot of trauma and, and seen a lot of stuff, you know, and and living in that environment and that violence and. How he how he kind of made it through all of that is it's it's pretty amazing. You know, the guy's a total survivor. Obviously, I mean he he went through. Well, I, you know, I can't even say that it's just amazing. Um, mm-hmm. Did he talk about his family ever? Like his mother? yeah, it, it, and and that it's like that with everyone in his life. He has a love hate thing. You know, I, I hear from people that he. I actually got a letter from him once. And, and he wrote that I'm the stupidest person he's ever met. How can I even stay, you know, stay alive one day being as retarded as I am? And it was just a scathing, you know. And it's just kind of weird that this guy gets thousands of letters a week and he takes the time to, you know, tell me how stupid I am. And then when he called, it's like I got your letter, and 
it just turned out someone said something and and you know you apologize for it and the way he apologizes which is a little different but it, it it's kind of like that people play him and people try to get favors and there's a whole industry around him you know uh, the one thing i thought was kind of weird um see he he always ex- tries to explain the prison world and i try to explain what it is out here to him the way we live is extremely fast you know he can't he can't relate to the pace every time he got out of jail he just said it doubled or tripled and it's just too crazy he, he never really wanted to come out and when yeah i asked him like directly what would you do you know and everyone thinks he'd have this you know he, he just said he'd sit down and look around for a while <laughs> which i thought was a pretty good answer you know and and so things changed a lot in technology and and um the one thing, like, we're, we're working on this interview, and he got a flat-screen TV. Like, that became a prison issue. And so he tried to send me his old TV, and it, I don't know what happened. I never got it. <laughs> but he, the, the, he thought that he saw on TV, like Skype or something like that, where you can talk on your TV to someone else, and they could, could communicate with you back and forth, right? Yeah. And he's adamant that I could do this because I have a flat-screen TV as well, and I have to figure out the technology, and, and he would just go on rants about this, you know? Yeah. Um, I I was in a visit and there's a guard that walked by and he's like, see that guy? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, oh, that asshole or whatever. He's oh, he's mocking me all the time, right? And I'm like, well, what is he mocking you about? And the guy's always holding up his phone to Charlie because he's got a cell phone and Charlie doesn't have one. And I told him, well, he's taking pictures of you, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like it, it, that it just doesn't occur to him, you know. Right. Well, I, I, mm-hmm. I could imagine. Think about how much the world's changed. Oh, unbelievable! And and he doesn't. And it's like, um, I've read, he's sent me a bunch of his fan mail, so I've read the content of what, you know, and, and everybody wants something from him. They're like students doing papers, and or they send him $10, and can he sign a receipt for them, or <laughs> trying to get autographs, and, you know. Yeah. And so he, the way he would screen people and, and all that kind of stuff is pretty amazing. And and, and if he doesn't work, um, like when you think of celebrity, which he is, he doesn't carry himself that way at all. Yeah, oh, that's just that's fascinating. So, um, did, now did he talk about the? Um, he didn't really talk about the crimes that much. Well, uh, we had one fight, like a pretty good. I did an interview somewhere, and and I was kind of asked like, well, like it, everyone kind of agrees that he knew it was going to happen or something could happen, right? And in my world, if if you know there's going to be violence on that level and you do nothing to prevent it, you have to be accountable in some way like i don't know if you would agree to that or not oh for sure charlie's adamant that's not the case (laughs) it doesn't work that way you know right and so philosophically i can't really relate to where he is and and you know and 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 when you talk about morals and stuff is a big thing and being righteousness and and you know and when when the book came out his he was in the hole at the time, and the person in the cell next to him read the whole thing to him, right? Yeah. And his response was that he, he couldn't believe that he didn't exploit certain things. And, like, well, why, why would, you know? <laughs> like, he just assumed that's what people do because that's what happens to him all the time. Well, that would be kind of what, if, you know, if he regularly had that hap- happen to him for so many years, mm-hmm. that's, that's just because, yeah. you know, that's what he expects. Um, so but but, but then when you, you start dealing with like talk to your media people like your Dr. Phil's and all your TMZ's and yeah. Inside Editions and all that, those, those people are like, yeah. it's it vultures, man. It's, it's, it's unbelievable, it, you know. There, there's not a whole lot of ethics. No, it's and, and, real bad when you get up there. And, and, and as you, we kind of talked about just before we went on air, the whole funeral thing. And like I know all those parties, everyone involved and who's, fighting to do what's right for the, with the remains of Charles Manson and and it's it's a circus you know I, I i can see why the public is interested and it's 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 kind of sad and pathetic that it's come to that you know like it's yeah. crazy well what do you think um in the sense so if, if if he talked to you did he ever talk to you about the three people like his kid and grandkid and and his pen pal on who he liked or didn't like did he ever sort of get into but yeah, like uh, Matthew Roberts, I, I still consider him a good friend. Uh, you know, every time I've been to California, he's taken me out, and we've done a lot of stuff together. And I, I really like the guy, but it's he's not Charlie's son, and he knows that, right? And 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 so I don't know why they're going forward with this this fake documentation saying this is his will, like that 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 never happened, you know? Yeah. And um, 
his grandson I, I've spoken to on the phone. He's, he's, he really means well and everything, but I, I just wish him and Channels would get together and, and do that media free, you know, and just keep, they can, I'm sure they can figure their differences out and compromise and do it, you know. Yeah. But um, the will that Michael Channels has or whatever is, you know, that, that's Charlie's writing and his direction, and it's, it's 100% authentic, you know, as far as I can tell, for sure. Well, I'm, I'm sort of confused on what they want anyway. So, what? I mean, you know, he's dead, and so mm-hmm. they haven't cremated him. So, but so what? What I'm saying is, well, no matter who wins, well, you're gonna he's gonna get burned, I guess, or buried, or whatever. So what? Yeah, that? I think that the interesting thing about the whole Manson mystique is that he's becoming an outlaw and kind of a poet and kind of a sage or a, a shaman to a lot of people. I mean, there's a lot of artists and people cling on to different parts and the whole innocence thing and free charge, you know. It, it's, so I, I think that imagery, if, if he, he, never, he doesn't get paid anything. Everyone just totally rips him off all the time. You know, even when he was alive, it's like they, they use his image and his voice and, and to sell everything, like... You know, I, I have like four or five band shirts with him on them that, you know, that's just before I was doing it. That just, you know, that just kind of happens just to go to shows and pick stuff up, you know. He, he's that relevant. He's kind of all over the place. So, so I think owning that copyright's the big thing, you know, and control of his music is another thing. Right. And when you, you want to tell um, what's kind of fascinating, and he thought the main interest that I had in him was his music and, and he knew, like, like Mama Cass wanted to testify at the funeral for him, or sorry, at the funeral, or at his at his hearing when he was you know, going on trial. And Neil Young gave him a motorcycle, and he was friends with like everybody, you know. Yeah. So I'd name these people like Hollywood Jim Morrison. He's always a good kid, and you know, when he told me when he was in prison, he thought like guys like Dean Crosby were like rock stars to him. <laughs> That's what he aspired to be, you know, and. Right. Creepy Carpus taught him how to play guitar. Um, he was a member of the Ma Barker gang, right? Yeah. And and so he kind of had the basics down. He understood how to structure a song and how to play, and he wanted to, that's what he was going to do. And the, the prison staff encouraged him. Everyone thought he had this ability, and he said he got out and he went to, um, I think it was the Whiskey, and he saw the Grateful Dead play, and, and he just, to his guitar away, he couldn't, you know, <laughs> he couldn't believe that that's what it had evolved into. You know? <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, and yeah, people are trying to use so much about him. But why do why do you think it sells so well? Like, what 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 is it about his image? Because it's not it's not like an image. Like you don't look at Charlie Matson and go, mm-hmm. he's a good looking guy. He's you know, or you don't look at him and go, he doesn't. He represents to me, you know, the Sharon Tate killings. The that's what. I see when I see him. I just think about. Yeah. You know. See, he, I think he hits on every level. Like he's an, he have the true crime thing, obviously, and the mystery behind that, and the mind control, and the cult, and the hippie cult leader thing. You also have the music, and then you have the art that he does. He does a lot of that kind of stuff, you know. Like he's, we're we're in a visit, and and he's tapping on his table. Like he's always fidgety all the all the time. He's got his back against the wall, and he's he's pretty paranoid, you know. <laughs> So he's tapping away, and, and he has an obvious sense of rhythm. And, and you don't just have that. It's, it's a developed thing, right? Yeah. And I'm like, you know, do you ever play drums? And he's like, well, yeah, like San Quentin, four years in the hole. And, and he would lower and higher the water in his toilet to get different pitches, and, and he would use those as, as drums, you know? Yeah. He Somehow he got an old toilet seat and, and found some string or wire, and he was able to, like, kind of tune, like, a weird harp guitar thing, you know? But... He, so that, that all of that kind of stuff, and I, I think people, if you're a loner or an outcast or whatever, I, I think people are naturally drawn to that because that's kind of, he's almost a poster child for that. Yeah. So, so I think it's a multi, and, and there's a mystery to it, like what really happened, right? Yeah. Now, did, did he express his hate for anybody in particular that it kind of shocked you? or? Um, yeah, I... <laughs> I, 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 I I read an interview or something with David Allen Cole, and they, David said that um, they were in prison together, and he taught Charlie how to play some guitar. And so I asked him what that. He went on a pretty good rant. Um, he goes on. See the the phone system is is kind of like a mental health line over there. They 
he uses them to vent, you know. And, and before I met him, he'd have a book and he'd have like r- like random numbers, and I was just a random person. He'd kind of call people until he got someone, and then you know, because I, after you know him and he knows that I have a family, he knows what I do, and then it, it, it's a lot more candid and more personal of a relationship, right? I don't think he was that way with many people. Like you know, I honestly don't. I think it was he kind of knew that what people wanted stuff out, and he he didn't care. So sometimes. He would call and he would, you know, be angry and sometimes he'd be really childish. And there, there's a lot of times where he's kind of childlike, which is was kind of kind of surprising. He tantrums, you know. Yeah. So, how do you classify that? Like, what do you? And I mean that in the way of. Um, so you see, so you see all different faces of, of Charlie. You're seeing yeah, a, for you sure. know, a kid. You're seeing him aggressive. You know, tyrant. Mm-hmm. You know, and then. Uh, was do you think he was? I don't want to say normal, but did, what do you think was wrong with him or right with him? Kind of how do you describe his personality then? Well, I asked him that. I said, okay, you, you see, he hated parts of what what I like what I do, especially psychiatry, right? Because for a good five or six years, they used like really heavy antipsychotics as a chemical restraint to kind of calm him down and so he was so medicated he couldn't really do much he just kind of drooled right mm-hmm. and the, the side effects on those me- medications are very harsh you know so he he always feared getting put into a psych ward or something like that because of those memories right he, he didn't you know but when you ask him what he had he, he says everything I'm ADD, FAS, head injured, schizophrenic, bipolar <laughs> you know everything yeah. But the the, weird, the one thing he wouldn't admit to, which is still fascinating to me, is depression. Like it, he doesn't, he never understood suicide or how anyone could do that, you know. And and he said, like the most disturbing mail he gets is all these people saying, "Oh, Charlie, you're the reason I'm alive. You, you, if it wasn't for you, I would have killed myself." You know that kind of stuff. Yeah. He totally doesn't get it at all. He doesn't understand fandom. He doesn't understand why anyone would think he's in a good position or want an autograph from him. You know, he never got that. I sort of don't get it either, uh, <laughs> and not just about him, about anybody. I mean, I really can, yeah. I can like bands or singers or actors or writers, um, mm-hmm. just people in general for what they do. Some of them I think they do incredible. I'm, I'm amazed at what some people can do, but I would never, I just have no desire to go wait outside their door or scream and get an, get an autograph even or nothing mm-hmm. just uh, if i met someone great that i mm-hmm. but i just have no hunger but I, I i think people get so involved with you know reading the books and the documentaries and and all of that kind of stuff they just try to take it a little bit closer right. it's kind of what you're doing on your on your show right it's like you're you're meeting people who are right there who who know the people who you know yeah. <laughs> firsthand no, it, it, you can't get much closer than that right yeah yeah, it's fascinating. I just, uh, I, I, you know, but hey, each to their own. I'm, I'm happy, but wow. So um, yeah, but that that whole thing is, is. Oh, go ahead. It, 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 it's interesting because, uh, um, okay, so Charlie went through the prison system and he ended up in um, Vacaville, which is and. He, there's a Harry Krishna guy who was chanting and him and Charlie got in a fight and, and the guy ended up throwing a bunch of paint cleaner and lighting him on fire and he almost died. He was like pretty bad. And so they, they ended up saying like this guy is like a high profile inmate. He's going to get killed because you know that's how the other inmates make a name for themselves. So they made this unit called PHU and that's where he was housed when I met him. And that, it's like a celebrity inmate um, unit. And it's it's low key. There's like always less than twenty people. I think there's like fourteen or so when I was out there. And it's people like Sirhan Sirhan, um, Orin Corona, who was a serial killer. All these guys who these deviant sex offender people who people you know write books about. Um, the guy who killed Bill Cosby's son was out there. So they, it was a little different of a environment because he kind of had free reign. They let him do crafts. They let him have a guitar. You know. So he ha- it was like. You know, but he was protected because no one's gonna, you know. Right. But but he he totally lived by this old school prison code. You know, that's you know, that's everything to him. And he kind of left with that code. Like he's, he'll tell you he's got all these. He's going with all of his secrets. You know. Yeah. What? Well, 
what kind of secrets do you think he really had, or or did he? Well, I asked him directly, like, did you know what was going to happen? Like, the whole, basically, um, I think this needs a little explaining. So, he he tells me that he wasn't there a whole lot. He wasn't no leader. He said he was a follower. Like, he, he got out of prison, and it was this Haight-Ashbury, middle of the hippie movement, and, and he's knows how to read people, he knows how to work people, absolutely, he's a pimp, he's done all of that shit, you know, he knows how to survive prison, right, so he's not stupid, he knows he knows how to do all of that, and so all of a sudden it's like, here's all this, you know, he's looking for like an underpass or something to sleep under, and these kids said, hey man, come stay with us, he's like, what, this is completely insane, you know, because three years ago these people would have been terrified of him, and that would have never happened, but now, now there's a movement, and so, so he fell into the, the the timing was perfect to happen, you know. And I think when he, I think he felt some level of responsibility. Like this is kind of what I get talking with him. And when things were getting stupid, and he thinks he needs to go, there's a, this pending race war, and it's disputable whether or not he actually liked to, you know. He said he didn't like the the Beatles, but if he, the White Album's talking to him, and he thinks he needs to dig this hole underground, like to me. That's a guy having a nervous breakdown or a psychotic break, you know. Right. That's like it, it does. I don't see no mastermindery behind any of that. And 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 I think once it started collapsing, and then you got to remember, all these people are opportunists. Like I, I talked to people from back then, and, and they said like the hippie movement, maybe six to eight months, and after that, it was all exploitive and all opportunistic, and you know, because right. now all these people are flocking from all over America and Canada too. They're all you know trying to this idolized lifestyle which is very easy to be victimized in you know there's all kinds of overdoses and murders and rapes and it, it's just crazy yeah and he was only one of many families back then too as you want to call them like people just living in a bus or moving around yeah. you know that he wasn't they weren't the only people doing that no and I think he had like three buses or something over the over the years but back to all of that lifestyle, right? So you, you have essentially groupies and stuff is an, are a new thing, right? So there's rock stars and there's groupies and, and hangers-on, and, and that that's kind of California in the, the late 60s. And so Charlie knew how to work and exploit that, and, and he knew, like, okay, guys go where girls are and girls are power, and, and eventually he ended up with, with Wilson, and all of that kind of happened, and he started trying to record a record and stuff, and... What he told me about all of that is when he recorded, he would bring in everybody, and he thought they could capture something live and memorable. He didn't understand takes and redoing things at all, you know. And so any engineer is going to just be frustrated as hell working with him. You, you can't work with him, really, you know. And so, so all of that kind of fell apart. But all these girls and stuff, they're also, you know, they're partying with all these celebrities and, and actors and Hollywood is convoluting with all of these people and all of these drugs are flowing around and all of this stupidity. And then you have this guy, Polanski, who all of a sudden he gets a thing called a VCR, which is like state-of-the-art. It never existed before, right? right? You could make, like, home movies and you could, um, they could watch them. And so there's all kinds of weird, <laughs> yeah. like, I, I've heard some of the films that are apparently out there that exist or whatever. And when I talked to Charlie about that stuff, he said he'd, like, yeah, he knew all of them. Sharon Tate was his friend. He said, going to this pool all the time, you know. He said that was his backyard. And so now it's like, okay, so all these guys know each other. That's kind of not at all what I thought. Right. And you start going into that a little bit and talking to people, and it turns out that that was a, is a drug house, too. Like, um, Tex Watson was a drug dealer, but a very bad one. He shot people and ripped people off, and nobody wanted to do anything about it. And so he was... but. When you're, whatever you're doing, you kind of aware what your competitor or your colleagues are doing too. So they they were aware that there was a big drug deal going on, and the Tate House was going to have this shipment of stuff. And and Jay Sebring, he's a hairstylist. They called him the Candy Man. He used to go around and cut people's hair and and you know drop off drugs and stuff. Tex Watson used to have like a wig store, and so did Sebring. So they they clearly knew each other, right? Yeah. And so. I'm told that um, Tex Watson shows up over there with the girls and says, hey, guys, you know, and he's trying to schmooze them, and, and he wants to be a part of this drug deal. 
and they just kind of don't know what to do. So they say, Tex, you got, you know, come back in an hour or so. They get a plan together. They're going to be solid. He comes back, and they just, like, get the hell out of here. We'll call the police. And he's kind of shocked by this, like, you know. So they go and find Charlie, and they say something like, um, Charlie, this should be our drug deal. You know, we should be in on this. This is bullshit, blah, 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 whatever. And his command or whatever um, is something like, do what you're going to do or shut the fuck up. That's that's it, right? Yeah. So th- and, and that's what, kind of what happened. Wow. So it was a home invasion, essentially, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and I have no doubt that they all knew each other. And it wasn't no, you know, a bad record deal or anything. But they're... There's a, probably a little bit of truth in all of those elements, you know, and you, and you get these all these warped stories with a very unhappy ending, you know. I think it's all tied together, and I think it's a lot of drugs and a lot of personality, and it's it's a crazy, crazy thing. Yeah. Well, you know, but um, how well do you think he knew um, Polanski? Um, I, that I don't know. I, I didn't ask him that. That's a good. That would have been a good question, but he said he knew Sharon. Yeah. I asked him that directly, yeah. And there, there's, I, I've heard of reports of, of her being out at the Spawn Ranch riding horses and stuff when they were out there, you know. Right. They used to do that to hustle and make a couple bucks. They would, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Did, did, was there ever a time he scared you? What, what's that? Was there ever a time ever. That, that you felt scared? Well... You gotta, he's pushing 80 when I met him, right? Yeah. So, yeah but you, but, but I, he, he would, I say that because there's so many people, yeah. you know, because he has that image of, oh, if I wanted you dead, you'd be dead. And he would say he would go outrageous on certain people on the media. and so. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, but he, he would say stuff like, I can have someone knock on your door in three days, you know? Yeah. So is that a threat or is that how cool I am? Like, I don't, yeah. you know? And, and. He said, "He said, are you scared?" Or you know, and I said, "Well, no." And he said, "Well, you should be." Like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, so the, the the thing is, the way he screened mail is like some, and you you people would ask me how to write Charlie, how do I get him to say, like write back, and you know, you get a better response if you tell him about your cat than asking about the murders. You know, right. that's kind of how he was. But if if you like he told me, Marilyn Manson was trying to get all of them for the longest time, and but he always wrote from a PO box, like a box number instead of an actual personal address. Yeah. So he's like, who the fuck does this guy think? Like, who, who does he think he is? Like, you know, he's <laughs> so if he thinks you're hiding something on him, so you have to have your address on there, so he knows where you live. You know, that that kind of thing. But I, I don't. No, I, I. I've had some pretty good rants, and it's like you know, there's one where he, I don't know what he was upset about. Oh yeah, okay. I was, I was supposed to go see him, and I, I'm in California, and I, I, I call like he calls the night before, and, and he just says it's, sometimes he's paranoid, or there that might not be the right word, but sometimes there's stuff going on with other inmates or in the visiting room, and he just can't go out or with other guards or whatever. He just doesn't want to leave his cell. It's just kind of that happens, right? So it was one of those times I was there, and, and he he just didn't feel like he could come out to see me. And so when I got home, I told him, yeah, I was there, you know, it would have been good to see you, you know. And he's like, you're lucky I didn't see you, I would have jumped on your back and slit your throat. <laughs> and it's like, like way overreacting, you know. Yeah. And so then you find out that, oh, someone said something about, you know, whatever. It, it, it's always been easy to work out, you know. Yeah. Did he ever talk but, about the other girls in the family? Yeah, yeah. Um, he did. Like, I think because it lives in his head a lot, he, you know, I, I think it... it in a lot of ways, his life stops when the prison door closes. I think he's, you know, so he knows you're on the outside, and he remembers what that's like. So, but but his reference points are from the '60s, you know, oh, like yeah. like I, I'm just fascinated with LA history and stuff, and so when I I got, got to go to the Troubadour and the whiskey and all of that kind of stuff, you know, and uh, you share those experiences, and he tell you about when he. He went dancing once. He's at the Whiskey A Go Go, and he went on the dance floor by himself, and and he cleared the floor, and everyone was clapping and watching him dance. You know, he definitely has that that, that kind of a rhythm. Yeah. Um, I went up to the, uh, you know, where the redwoods are or whatever. Like I've always wanted to do that. So those just amazing trees, and so he knows about Colonel Sherman, the oldest tree that's there, and that's his tree. You know, yeah. <laughs> so it's 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 yeah, it, it's. It's weird, like when you go in to see people like that, or anybody who's dealing with inmates or has anyone they 
in a prison. That they, it, it, you, it's kind of weird because you go in and you you leave, but they're always there. You know that that's just always a weird thing. Yeah, yeah, and, and always going to be. Well, yeah, you know. Um, I, I just wondering, did he did he feel betrayed by some of the girls that testified? Um, not real. It depends. Like even. Like his mother, depending on the day, sometimes she's a saint and sometimes, you know, yeah. she's the worst person on the, on the planet. So uh, he, he he's careful when he talked about people to make sure that there was no nothing possessive about it or there was no way. Like when we're writing a book, he'll say, you should put this in a book, and then I'll say, okay, I'll do that. Goes, well, I'm not telling you to do anything, you know, because <laughs> like, yeah. that whole command thing, you know. Yeah. So... They they would come up a little bit, but not. I didn't know enough about them really. Like, yeah, you know, like I, I know that through channel, like you're not supposed. They're not supposed to communicate because they shared a crime. But I'm sure that happened. There's outside people who would rewrite letters and send them in, and you know. Yeah. So he, he was on top of what everyone was doing for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've had a few of the girls, so I just. Uh, Mm-hmm. Wondering if he had any any mention. So, w- what do you think about his remains? Um, do, do you actually? Uh, I don't know. Um, do you have an opinion on who you would want to have him? Uh, I just wish that Freeman, like his grandson and and Channels, could get together and, and in private and figure that out because I think that they're both deserving, you know, and. Ultimately, I can't see the state of California saying, "Here's the bear." You know, they're 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 going to have to cremate him and pour his ashes someplace because that's just going to be a gong show with a burial, or people be stealing the tombstone, and it'll be Ed Gein times thirty, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, but I, uh, but you I don't know. think you're allowed to spread the ashes, are you, anymore in California? I don't know. I, I didn't think you. Were yeah, <laughs> I, I I that that's kind of what I like. What I thought it was leading to would be like a cremation of some kind, yeah. or but he, like people, think that the, the prison has a way of um, doing a burial or disposing of a body or whatever, and people like I've heard the other argument that Charlie never really had a will, or if he did have a will, it wasn't signed like by two people, two witnesses, and all that kind of stuff because he wanted the wanted the prison to do what they will, you know. Yeah. And and he had a another inmate told him that I was arrested once for impaired driving or something and then when I get home he called and he's just happier than hell like I finally spent a few days in jail. <laughs> it never happened, but he just he kind of connected with people that shared that experience too. So there's a, you know, I I think one of the weirder things is his reverence for like the uniform and his respect for authority in the military. It's it's I I never I always thought he'd be like, you know, like a hip, big hippie or a punk rock where he'd you know, be out of society and just, you know, but he doesn't see it that way at all. Like he, you know, if you ever talk bad about a soldier or anything, he, he took that personal, like he felt very strong about that. Wow. That's a surprise. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So it comes down to it. Um, what was the uh, most important thing you learned from, from your time with him? Um, I, I can't be starstruck anymore, because, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. it's like, that, and, and the, as time goes on, I have way more respect for the guy, because I know, like, he, he fills, with the whole book, I went ahead, and I, I had a contract, and I had the machine behind me, and, and that's a whole other thing, but I, I, I felt committed, and he doesn't know why I did that, you know, and he, he, he kind of does his, his own thing, and he, he's a... He's all about righteousness and respect and honor and and those kind of values, and that's kind of what he took to his grave. You know, he wasn't going to snitch and he wasn't telling anything. And you know, it's and just how unorthodox he does things. It's like you know, if he did this, this, and that, things could be way better. Like we were having a talk about that when the murders happened. All he had to do was say, "Oh, I can't believe they killed her and she was pregnant." A beautiful act. You know, what a waste of life or whatever. And and he could have, you know. Yeah. He could have played it that way, but he told me he didn't think that this was going to happen because he knows he wasn't there. Everyone knows that that's easy to prove. 
he didn't think he was going to be on, end up on death row. And he, if he would have, he would have seen a much different <laughs> Charles Manson for sure. Right. Well, but he was showboating. He, he's getting attention, you know. Yeah, yeah. But but if he, you know, let's say that's true, and he didn't know anything about the Manson sort of thing, mm-hmm. it was going to go down that way. Um, mm-hmm. Then how about the LeBianca, the ones that happened after? Because, because if he wasn't at the first one and didn't know it would go down that way. Once it mm-hmm. did go down, then he must have known that it's possible to happen again. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It actually goes it, it goes beyond that. It goes before that the Bobby Boussole, um murder. I'm, I'm not quite sure exactly what happened there, but right. he he was kind of like um, the uh, kind of the most attractive male in the group, and and the one who the girls fawned over. And so there's a theory that. In trying to get him out of jail, they wanted to stage like the Sharon Tate thing, and I, I think there's an element of that to that. I think it was a drug deal, but the the writing on blood in the walls and stuff was a co- it's like a copycat murder, right? Yeah. So there, there's that, and I think the daughter of the Labiancas was involved with them directly. Yeah. But that that's the thing, like like um, like the one thing Charlie told me that Angela Lansbury signed her daughter over to him when he was like she's like 14 or 15 or something like that yeah and the dad just sounds like completely crazy and then you do a little bit of research it's like that really happened yeah, you know yeah <laughs> and and like like one of the weirder stories he told me so they they go and rob angela's house because that's what they did right they they're creepy crawling yeah. and and uh they stole all of her fur coats and he had this old dune buggy and he glued these furs onto this thing and somehow he found some old horns you know yeah. and <laughs> he's driving around in this beast and he's, so he's telling me the story he's just laughing his ass off you know yeah. but that's you know the, the, back then I, you gotta keep things in context too it was a totally different time I think police worked differently courts did you know everything was a completely different world and I think the one thing he told me like when they were at the ranch it was like like they they were eating all the garbage cans and stuff, but they 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 were they're robbing like A-list celebrities, right? That's what they were doing. And so he had this place where they would bring him stuff because he liked art. So they'd bring him all these like carvings and paintings and like millions. Of, so he's like, "What happened to all of that stuff?" You know, yeah. when they raided everything, it just kind of disappeared. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, I, I never heard about that anywhere before he told me that, but it's that's kind of interesting, you know. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt it found its way mm-hmm. somewhere, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's how it goes. Um, so um, so now, how how's the book coming along? How's that go- going for you now? So um, there's a curse that goes with the whole Manson thing, right? <laughs> um, and that might sound kind of crazy, but you're dealing with a very dark energy, and I don't, I don't know what it is, and it's kind of untamable. It, it, it does what it's going to do, and nothing makes any sense, and... Like, I've had um, three people approach me about movie options, and they all dropped out. I signed with the worst publisher, my book agent, the worst book deal he's ever signed in, like, 25 years or something like that. I never got paid a cent for the book. Like, to my knowledge, it sold over 80,000 copies or something like that. And it's like, so, just through a weird coincidence and timing and stuff, I, I another author who was with the same publishing company got her rights back and she emailed me her lawyer's information and so I, I took that up and I got I have the rights back to oh, good. my book I'm in a position to do something with it so um, I'm going to rework it and and do something with that and, and just kind of for closure and I think um, right now uh, like with him passing and that I, I, I think it I want to let some time pass, and I want to be completely opportunistic, you know. But I do want to have his voice, and there's a lot of, you know. It's, a, it's I think it's, I had a different relationship with the guy, and I think it's a different, a different account, you know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'd, I'd like to think I kind of knew who he really was, you know. Yeah. Well, you mm-hmm. had a lot of time, you know. Yeah. Uh, what, yeah. What, what do you think about that? The, the girl was going to marry him. Like, what, what was that all about? Captain. Yeah. I like, I know, like, Star and Grey, yeah, she, um, that, I can't really talk about all of that, oh, but okay. that's, you know, but but she, she's kind of a, away from everything now, and, and she's doing fine, she's, it, it it's a lot of pressure, and I, I think, um, I think she feels pretty exploited by the media, too, I think, like, 
when you do an interview or whatever, there was a show that just aired on the History Channel that I participated in because I wanted to use my audio. And, and uh, there's a three-hour, I did like at least a three-hour interview explaining everything that we've kind of went into, but more in depth. And, and they used like maybe 45 seconds of me, you know, because <laughs> like when you... Yeah. when you're at all sympathetic or you have a different take on things, you know. So, you know, I think, um, yeah, I, I think it, she's 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 doing fine. I don't know. I haven't talked to her since he passed, but I think, you know. I just wonder. They were, they were definitely close for sure. Yeah, I was just wondering how that happens. And I'm not even a, as a judgment. I'm just saying that yeah. how, how it happens is in you decide that you're going to... Uh, interact with someone that's fine but then how you want to marry them i mean i just i just but but a lot of a lot of this stuff is a media slant like i think oh yeah yeah honest like this is yeah off the record as we're doing a show <laughs> but, but i i think i think he was worried about this happening i think he was worried about dying and not having his affairs in order and, and having a next of kin or being married or whatever i think it was more like that than anything right. i think he wanted um I think he wanted that, but he didn't trust anybody enough to kind of fill out a, you know, an official will, as it were. But I, I and and the the media just it, it's. I used to get calls by the guy who works with Matthew Roberts, the the guy who thinks he's Charlie's son, and and this guy was a, um, he worked for Jerry Springer at one time, so he he. His claim to fame was he discovered Octomom. So he'd call and say, what do you got for me? You know, and I'd tell him, I can't tell you. Like, like he's hilarious. Like, who would he be a great guest? But he's like, yeah. like just, you know, like, I, got, I got four strippers right now that are, are going to say that Justin Bieber's the dad. You know, fuck you. Like, he's doing great work, you know. And that's awesome. <laughs> you know, but destroying lives and, you know. Yeah. So you, you see that side. Then that that's what I got from Charlie. He is what he is. He's pretty transparent, actually, considering everything. But you deal with these schmoozers. Like, the whole Hollywood thing is just seedy as hell. Like, I, I don't... The ethic and just the morals of, of some of these people, like, it, it's 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 unbelievable, you know? I've... I've you know? Yeah. And, and so he would laugh at that and say, oh, see, now you see a little bit of what I have to deal with. Well, I, I can't even imagine, you know? Yeah, yeah. So... Pretty endless... Wow. Mm -hmm. so, so, do you think the history show was okay, or did you did you bother? No, it was stupid. They they yeah. they, they told me they was gonna be like you know, and and I I agreed. I gave them like like thirty hours of audio or whatever I had, and and I let them choose whatever they wanted to use, because the deal was they're gonna be fair, and this was my way of giving him his, his you know his voice really. Yeah. And we talked about that, and, and they're going to talk to me about what stuff meant and who meant, and you know. And I knew Michael Channels was involved, and, and so I thought that's awesome. Finally, they got some real people, yeah. you know. Yeah. And then it just turned into like trying to solve these unsolved murders, which really had nothing to do with anything yeah. that happened eight months after Charlie was already in jail, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. But he commanded people, and it, it just gets kind of so. Technically, he's responsible for every murder and in Los Angeles for, you know, from 65 to 70. Yeah, yeah, that's kind yeah. of anything, any, you can tie them to anything, and then, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's just crazy. But, you know, but if people are really interested in all of that kind of stuff, I, I would recommend Nicholas Schreck's work. Like, the guy, it's obsessively researched, and just even YouTube an interview, if you guys could get him as a guest, it's, it's crazy, like, you know. Like, he really goes into everything, like all, and, and it's, it's, it's yeah, it's unbelievably. Mm. I think his book's like over a thousand pages or something. It's like yeah, <laughs> it's quite the undertaking. Yeah, that sounds good. But did you ever? What did you, did you ever read the Bugliosi um, book? And did you did you actually? Well, read it? I asked, asked Charlie about that, and he says it's about sixty percent true. So yeah. I don't, you know. Yeah. But I, I never, I never actually read it. I don't. Like I tried to read it, but I think I was just too young to understand it, and uh, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not something. Yeah. And so now, um, what, what, the, the, with me, it happened so quick, and I had the book written in about four months, kind of thing. Once I had a deal, it was like, you know, and I didn't want to read anybody else's work because then it would come through in what you're doing or taint things a little bit or whatever, and I didn't want to do that. Yeah. And then, then when you're a part of it, it's like, you know. Like he he calls one day and he's like, "You up on the wrestling?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I, you know, I know wrestling." He was, was who's this CM Punk think he is? 
I'm like, well, I don't know. Like, so he's like a champion wrestler, and you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so he thought because his initials are CM, that means Charles Manson. Oh. And yeah. and and punk is the most derogatory thing that you can call somebody in prison. Yeah. Like it's pretty much if I call you a punk, we're we're gonna fight, you know. Yeah. yeah. You know, in 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 Canada, the equivalent is Lugan which apparently means waterhead. <laughs> so those are, there are certain words that where you got to just, you know, yeah, that's have, it. you got to fight. And then I, I, was, I was talking to him on the phone once, and South Park was on TV, and he's the character on South Park, so I'm trying to explain this to him that you're in a cartoon right now. Yeah, it didn't go very well because I didn't know what I was talking about. But, but that, that's kind of how it is. It's kind of everywhere, you know, and so you... It's, 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 and things kind of die down, and then something stupid will happen, you know. And it's it's like when I like basically the prison really monitors what they they must hire somebody to what's going on with these inmates, and they're they're on top of things. And the cover of my book was the first photo that the public would have seen in like three or four years or something, yeah. because he hadn't had a mugshot for several years. They just kind of overlooked that. He's a PHU. He's kind of doing his thing or whatever. And so they literally wake him up at like eight in the morning, throw him against the wall, and take a picture of him, release it worldwide. This is new mugshot of Charles Manson, like three days before my book comes out. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like holy shit! Like these people are, you know, someone's paying attention because, yeah. you know, that and that was kind of going to be our thing. That that's what the publicist wanted to run with this new photos and whatever. You know, yeah, it didn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't. You know, wow. <laughs> Well, this has been amazing. It's been we've got uh, an hour in already. Uh, we could probably oh. talk forever, Marlon. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, uh, let me know uh, when you get it. You know, because I want to make sure that the book comes out. You get money. So. Yeah. You know. So right right now, I have a, a Facebook page. It's Charles Manson now, and you can download the book for free. Just go steal it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> And there's an audio book, but I can't figure out how to put it up. That they actually, I had no idea until Stan Levay told me that there's an audio book out. I, they didn't even tell me. Like, um, so someone did an audio book, and they had like an Irish guy reading like Charlie's parts. <laughs> it's, oh. it's pretty cool, actually. But yeah. yeah. Well, well, I, I, I'm going to put this on the website, and I'll let people know and to download it and when you do actually put the book out or if you do something anything let let me know let us know and I'll make sure that it's marketed on our website that would be great and maybe like there's maybe we can have another talk someday that'd be awesome oh anytime yeah this is a uh, great uh this is very man it's there's there's so much we could talk about so well again thank you very much Marlon and yeah. it's been yeah it's thanks Al so. take you care okay bye now Bye. To find out more about our show, guests, or listen to a previous show, visit our website at www.somethingweirdmedia.com. The mission has been completed. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see you. If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media.